inspired scripture. Many of the kings, uh, the ungodly kings included, had a book of chronicles about their own lives. And so you will see, are not all the other events and things that, you know, Asa did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings? God selected out that which he wants. So you have here enough for your salvation. You don't need more. And so this book is just absolutely incredible. But having said that, there's large passages in this Bible that we don't understand. It's not clear to us, and it's not clear to many. So they come out with many different doctrines and things like this. And one of them is the rapture doctrine because they misunderstand certain books of the Bible. And um, they attribute it to a futuristic, prophetic thing. And then it can say anything. Then it can fit in any age or generation. And so, so part of my goal with this is to preach practically to you and, and to give you encouragement that by the encouragement of Scriptures, Paul says, you might have hope. But also, I want to shed some light on some passages that might be scary and that might be a little bit... I don't understand it. <laughs> you know, you read those pages and go like, I don't know, I don't know. So you just leave it. So my New Testament lecturer said this. When I was at Bible school, the man who taught on the New Testament said this. You probably will never understand the book of Revelation. You would probably have to have lived at that time to understand it. So, so just don't worry about reading it. Hey, that's bad, bad, bad advice. And so for many years I did. You'll never understand it. But you know, the more I've studied, the more I've read, the more I'm understanding. And what an awesome book, the book of Revelation. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. And it'll be good for us to read our Bibles a little bit this morning. Is that okay? And so in Revelation chapter 5, and in verse 1, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Now remember last week I mentioned in chapter 4, John sees heaven open. And he hears a voice saying, come up here. And he was in the spirit, and then he was up there. In other words, you can only be in the heavenly realms if you're in the spirit. And so he sees sitting on the, at the right hand of him, he sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside. I mentioned that last week in number one. Sealed with seven seals. So it was a scroll sealed with seven seals. The implication is that you broke the first seal, you could open it, and you would come to the second seal. You'd unroll it a bit more, you'd come to the third seal. You'd unroll it a bit more, fourth seal. So as each seal was broken, progressively you could open the seal. But it was written on the inside and on the outside. And remember, I did speak about that. And sealed with seven seals, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth nor under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look therein. Now, Annalise has preached on this very powerfully on the book of Revelation. I believe she has got probably the most complete understanding of the book of Revelations of anyone I've heard. And one of the things that maybe I'll look into it a little bit more and do some more study on it, but for now... These realms within creation, okay, these realms. None of the realms were God's intention. Because when God created, he created heaven and earth as a unit. Because of man's sin, heaven and earth were separated. And through the book and through the spirit and through what Jesus did on the cross, he's trying to bring heaven and earth together. But for now, there's realms. There's the glory realm. And so I'm going to look into it and just give you more clarity on it. But in Psalm 8, he said, I have set my glory above the heavens. 
So there's the glory realm. And this is some of what he's describing. And then it seems like there's heaven. And then it seems like then there's earth. So four realms. So the four realms, it's interesting. We might have a look at it a bit later. There's glory, number one. And number two, there's heaven. And uh, then number three, there's earth. And then it seems like if I use the language of revelation, there's the pit. I mean the pits. Pits means prophet in training. So it's a reserved special place. If you want to be a prophet, straight to the pit. Okay? Pit, maybe Sheol, Hades, more or less the same thing. Underworld. It's quite interesting that before Jesus, that was the place of the holding of the dead. And there was two compartments in it, one for the righteous dead and one for the unrighteous dead. But within that place, there was a great gulf fixed, the rich man and Lazarus, Luke 16. Uh, between you and me, there's a chasm. You know, I can't get you to come and put water on your tongue. That was also called Abraham's bosom or paradise. That's the place Jesus emptied when he ascended and he took captives in his train. So that now, Paul says in Philippians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no more purgatory waiting place for the righteous. The unrighteous were left there awaiting future resurrection and judgment. But that will then be the lake of fire, that place of torment. Something like that. In the book of Revelation, there's a, a special section for the devil in the pit. And it's called the bottomless pit. I like it that it's bottomless. Oh, when we all get to heaven. One day when we're standing at that place and it is the judgment and it's time for the devil and his demons to go into the pit of hell, I'm going to be right there with the angels and say, need any assistance? <laughs> if you need help, kick in his butt. We are here. Okay, so the bottomless pit. And no man in heaven nor on earth nor under the earth was able to open the book realms, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said to me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. So part of the series is to explain that, but I'm going to be doing some detours on the way, Okay. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. So the line of the tribe of Judah came forth, roaring, to destroy the enemy. Okay? But the way he did it was by being the lamb slain. What a victory. What a victory. What a triumph. Having seven horns, that's total anointing, the fullness of the Spirit, total power. Seven eyes, these the all seeing God, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, the four and twenty elders, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Who? The Lamb. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on earth. We shall reign on earth. 
we shall reign on earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. And Daniel has that same vision. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature was in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea. And all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. What a picture, man. What a picture. But remember, this is vision language. Is that okay? There's meaning behind it. So what I want to do is just pick it up from there. And take you on a little bit of a journey. Everybody, are you coming with me? I hope so. And uh, just follow me. If there's anything you don't understand, ask somebody else, because maybe I don't. <laughs> so I just want to very quickly go to Hebrews chapter 10. And um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 to 12, it's speaking prophetically about Jesus. But basically, in that whole passage, in Hebrews chapter 10 from verses 1 to 12, talking about the law and that the law only being a shadow of the good things to come, but they could never cleanse the conscience of the worshiper so that they could worship the living God. It was in types and shadows. And then when it says in verse 5, when he comes into the world, this is Jesus, he comes and says, sacrifice and offerings thy wouldst not. In other words, you do not want sacrifice and offerings. But for me, you've prepared a body. So it's quite interesting that actually when Jesus was walking around, he did actually say that. Go and find out the meaning of this. What does it say? You know, I don't require sacrifices and offering, but I require mercy. Remember, Jesus himself said that. And so he literally said that. Then he says in verse 7, Then I said, Lo, I have come. It's written about me in the volume of the book. Everybody say the volume. The volume of the book. So Hebrews 10, 7, volume of the book. In other words, you can't make any doctrine out of one verse, not even out of one book in the Bible. You have to read the volume. You can't take the book of Revelation and watch ENCA and take the book of Revelations and fit it into the news. It's not going to work for you. And that's what they've done for many years. I don't know how many antichrists have been named and shamed. <laughs> the Pope, because his post box was 666. And uh, shame, I believe even President Reagan was the antichrist. I think for some people, President Trump is now. <laughs> but for me, he's not. He's a hero. And uh, I think Biden is more of the antichrist. And so that's a punt for America. Donald. And so... You know, it's been all of these different characters, Brezhnev, Gorbachev, and, 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 and they're always wrong. They're always, always wrong because they're trying to fit revelation into the news, and it's not going to work. So if you want to study the Bible, read the Bible, what have you got to do? Read the volume of the book. And so then let's just, we're still in Hebrews chapter 10. It's written me in, in the volume of the book, and then he said this. He said, Lo, I have come to do thy will, O God. And then it goes on to say this. He taketh away the first 
that he may establish the second. Woo! So when we're coming to the open book, when we're reading Revelations 5 and the book of Revelations, but let's just say it from there, it's because he taketh away the first to establish what? The second. So when Jesus came, all part of salvation, part of everything that he did, our redemption, was he came to take away the first to establish the second. So he came to do away with the law and all the sacrifices and the priesthood and the temple and the city in that sense. He came to put it all away and let me establish the second. Whew. If he hadn't established the second, you wouldn't be sitting here. Because he said, I want a new city on a new mountain, Zion. I want a new priesthood. I want a new temple in which I, I live by my spirit. And that's you. I want a new kingdom of priests. And that's you and me. Amen. There's no more the earth. Now it's the earth and the seas. In other words, there's no more just Jew. Now it's Jews and Gentile. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Male, female, Paul says, we are all one in Christ. Woo. So he came to establish the second. So you've got to understand, from the moment he was born, it was to take out the first, establish the second. You've got to understand that. And so that's what he came to do. So let's go to Isaiah 34, verse 6. Just want to complete this. And that is this, that in Isaiah 34, verse 6, Isaiah, speaking so prophetically, says this, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. So it doesn't say Seek ye out one verse and read. If you want to study the Bible, if you want to understand the Bible, here it is. Seek ye out of the book and read. No one of these, no one promise, no one prophecy shall fail. Not one prophecy shall want her mate. For my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. So in other words, God commanded and he spoke through prophecy, inspired the writers, okay? And then by the Spirit, he gathered them together into the book. And he says, now seek out the prophecies. Put them together because everyone has a mate. Now, Prophet Quibus used to say this over and over again. If you've got a prophecy, find its mate, put it together, prophecy fulfilled. So a little bit of what I'm doing with this is I'm finding mates of prophecies, putting them together so that it's fulfilled, so that we can understand. But you, are you all understanding the volume of the book? The volume of the book. People try to interpret the book of Revelations. A young man phoned me and said, I'm writing a commentary on the book of Revelations and I'm using the Gospel of John. I said, brother, I said, brother it's going to be interesting commentary. I said, I know John wrote both of them. I said, but you kind of have to go through the whole Bible. And so, 10 verse 12 of Hebrews this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. Now let me just start putting some things into setting. Is that right? So let's just remind you. In Revelation 5, verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, a scroll written on the inside and outside. The scroll was sealed with seven seals. I want to just start linking from there that passage now. So here's Jesus now. He's been arrested. He's on trial. He's in front of the Sanhedrin. 
and uh, he's standing in front of Caiaphas, and they keep pressing him, tell us, are you the Christ? Not because they wanted to know that he was the Christ. They wanted him to say, yes, I am, because they go, there it is, there it is. Off to the cross with you. (laughs) So they had to find any reason. And then Jesus gave it to them in, uh, I think it's Matthew 26. We can have a look at that, verse 63, 64. He said, how well thou hast said. (laughs) You know, I didn't say it, you said it. (laughs) And, And so he said, nevertheless, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, after this now, after this, here, not 2,000 years later, hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. It's interesting, but the glory realm has got clouds. Heaven has got clouds, and earth has got clouds. This is cloudless and waterless. <laughs> That's why when Jesus cast the demons out of the pigs, they said, please don't send us to the abyss, which is another word for the pit. Jesus said, when a demon comes out of a person, he goes to waterless places. And I know that in a lot of African countries, African men of God talk about water spirits. And I was accused when we were doing miracle pool meetings that we were using water spirits. Demons do not like water. Because when they go out, they go to dry places. Because water speaks of the spirit. Is that okay? Never mind. Let's carry on. He was standing in front of the Sanhedrin, and he was talking about coming of the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Over and over and over and over again through the Old Testament, when God came and he judged one of the surrounding nations, because God used the surrounding nations to chastise Israel. They were instruments of punishment whenever they were in sin and disobedience. But when they overstepped the mark and for their sins, they would also be chastised and judged. And it says over and over again in the Bible, and God came with the clouds. And God came with the clouds. So there's a sense in which when he comes with the clouds, he's coming in judgment. So when Jesus was standing here talking to the Sanhedrin, he was saying, listen, I'm about to open the scroll. The seals are about to be loosed. Because remember, the lion of the tribe of Judah roared. He was the lamb slain. Now here he is standing right in front of the religious leaders that were going to be putting him to death. And he says, I want you to know, hereafter, are you the Christ? Well, you've said, but hereafter, you're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory, seated at the right hand of the majesty. Those guys knew their Bibles. They knew exactly the verse that Jesus was referring to. They knew it. They knew it. They knew the context. So I'm trying to give you the context. Is it okay? And so basically we're saying the Son of Man is going to come in judging power because he's seated at the right hand of the majesty. He's going to come and judge. Remember he came to put away the first to establish the second. Is everybody getting it? So more and more as we go over the next couple of weeks, all of these passages are going to open to you. So this is what Jesus said. So remember when Jesus came, when he was born, when he grew up, when he was crucified, when he was put to death, when he rose again, when he sent and poured out the Holy Spirit, that was all part of his coming as the Son of Man. What did he say, the Son of Man? Son of Man. He will appear again, but not as the Son of Man, but as the Lord of glory to come and be with us. 
but his first coming as the Son of Man to identify with us, identify with our sin, to make us all that he is. But in order to do it, he had to put away the first and establish the second. And so part of it was judgment. And that's why it was called a day of great darkness, a day of his wrath, the day of the visitation of the Lord, the day of his vengeance. It was all because he was coming to take away. So now he's standing in front of the Sanhedrin. Caiaphas and the other Sanhedrin go like, what? What? Immediately their minds go to Daniel chapter 7. So go with me to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, remember Daniel was taken by King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who was head of Assyria, in about the year 605 B.C., they started conquering Israel and, and Judah and things like this. And, and so he was one of the young nobles, one of the young princes that was deported, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were taken and uh, taken into captivity. They become one of Nebuchadnezzar's wise men. So here they are in captivity. They all knew this was the consequences of centuries of sin. Because God, when he established the covenant with the people of Israel through Moses, he says it in Deuteronomy 28. He mentions it again in Deuteronomy 30. Amongst other things, amongst the, the barrenness, amongst the being plundered, amongst no rain and things like this, amongst all of that, being conquered by other nations, he said, you will go into captivity. If you continue breaking my laws, you will go into captivity. So here they come. Now they're going into captivity. So they all understood. When they arrived there, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. And so they're all sitting over there. They knew why they were there. They knew why. All of them. Ezekiel the prophet sitting there with them. They all knew. Daniel being over there. They knew why while they were there. So it's very interesting that God, because Daniel was a prophet, God started to reveal dreams. First of all, he developed his dream language because Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar dreams of a statue. So Daniel says he has a dream. And Nebuchadnezzar can't remember the dream, doesn't know the interpretation. Daniel gets it. And he says, you saw, O king, a statue that had a head of gold. Then it had a torso of silver. And he said, then it had the waist of bronze. And then it had legs of iron. And then it had, you know, its feet were iron and clay mixed, so more or less the same thing. And then while you're watching, you saw a rock cut out, not made by human hands. And this rock came, and it struck the statue at its feet, and the statue fell. And then this rock grew and filled the whole earth. And that's what you dreamed. And the king said, wow, promoted him, and all this kind of thing. And so the interpretation that Daniel gave him was, you, O king, are the head of gold, Babylon, or Assyria. And then silver was the Mede, Medes and Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire. These were empires. These were kingdoms that were going to be rising from the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And he said the torso of bronze was the Grecian Empire. And then the iron legs were Rome. That's in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 8, he has another dream, and he dreams of a ram and a he-goat. So that was the ram because it was now that time for those empires, and this was the he-goat. Everybody following? And then later, Daniel has another dream. And in it, and he sees a beast coming out, or beasts coming out of the sea. What do you say, the sea? In other words, 
that the sea represented nations, okay? And then he said, and I saw these beasts come out. One was like a lion, Babylon. One was like a bear, Syria, Medes and Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire. One was like a leopard, Greece. That was, you know, Greece. And the other one was a terrible beast with iron teeth. Everybody say iron teeth. It's interesting that they quote Psalm 1, which says when God says, I will rule him with a rod of iron. And this beast had iron teeth. The statue had iron legs. So in other words, he was saying, I'm going to rule you through Rome. So he sees the statue. But now, if you were to lay this statue down, in other words, it would become a timeline, and it would be Babylon, Medo-Persian, it would be Greece, and then it would be the Roman Empire leading up to the time, you know, right up to the time of Christ. Is that okay? So these were successive kingdoms that were coming. They were called beasts. Everybody say beasts. Say that was that time. Okay? So there ain't no beasts now. That, well, this is, there are, but this is not the reference to them. Is that okay? So this is the vision that he has. And, um, and then let's look at chapter 7, verse 25. The fourth beast in particular, the fourth animal, which is Rome. And look, there's descriptions of them because they're kings and rulers. The fourth one says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change. Listen to this. And think to change times and laws. The NIV says times and seasons. And the saints will be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing are a half time, two and a half times. So he'll be handed over. So he will oppress the saints for a period of time. So that has to be Rome. That takes us right up to the time of Jesus. And it was because Roman rule was around and it was oppressive. Really simple, isn't it? Yeah. Woo-hoo. Yeah. So it takes the boogeyman out of Daniel and Revelation. Yeah. They were empires that have passed. Okay. And then, then something happens. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. And I beheld. Now he's looking in the spirit of this vision. And he says, thrones were set up. And the ancient of days came and sat. His garment was white as snow. And the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame. And his wheels as burning fire. Isn't it amazing? He sets up his throne and he's got what? Wheels. Isn't it interesting? Have you ever read Ezekiel 1? And there was wheels with him, kneels, and the glory of God. And the face was like this. And wherever the spirit went, they went. They didn't look left, they didn't right. And they were going up, and they were coming down. Wheels within the wheels. Mm. It's very interesting that Jacob said, And I saw a ladder reaching from heaven to earth, and angels were... Ezekiel says, wheels with wheels and fire and all this kind of thing. And they are... And they just go where the spirit says. What was he seeing? Angels. So here's Daniel, and on his throne is wheels. It's got a nice set of wheels, God has got. It's better than a Bugatti. And so his throne is on these wheels, burning fire. Fiery stream issues forth and comes forth from before him. Thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. We read that in Daniel. And listen to this. Everybody listen to this, because I've got to just annihilate another doctrine that's going wrong. Judgment was set, and the books were open. 
I'm pausing until log it into your memory bank for next week and the week after. Judgment was set. When was judgment set? When God set the thrones. Then he opens the books. So he's got these books. Judgment was set. The books were opened. Judgment was set and opened. The judgment sat. But the judgment shall sit. This is later, verse 26. And they shall take away his dominion, this is the beast, to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And, and verse 27, later on. So I'm referring this to the judgment and the books being opened. So referring to these kingdoms, the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Those are verse 26 and 27. So the judgment is set and the books are open. And the purpose is for judgment, but not for the saints. Okay? On those wicked nations. And what's going to happen? Their destruction and everything is going to come to an end. It's going to take their power away from them. It's going to break them at the end. Well, when is the end going to be? There. It's all part of taking away the first to establish the second. And then God says, all right, Syria, evil. Medo-Persians, evil. Because Grecian Empire, evil. Roman Empire, evil. I've got records. Judgment is set. I'll break your power. I'll take it away from you. Now I'm bringing in a kingdom. The stone in the days of those kings. The stone. The stone. Come on. By, by, by now. Amen. And so he says, I beheld, back to verse 11, because the voice of the great words which that beast had spoken and the horn spoke, which was the king of that kingdom, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flames. Isn't that interesting that Jesus even said it to the Sanhedrin, basically, to them, fire is reserved for you. And concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Their lives were prolonged for a little season and a little time. See, the whole thing, you've got to understand with this statue, successive kingdoms, the same spirit that worked there, worked there. Same spirit that worked there, worked there. The same spirit that worked there is working in every nation on this earth. It is a spirit of Antichrist. Is that okay? It is. And so Daniel says this, reading a little bit further. He's looking at this vision, these beasts coming out, one like a lion, one like a bear, one like a leopard, this other one vicious, iron teeth. He's seeing the Roman Empire, how destructive it is, and he's horrified. He sees God sitting in judgment, setting up thrones, going through the books, and you know, it's judgment is being pronounced in, the, in favor of the saints. But this beast that he saw, the Roman Empire says he's trying to change the set times and seasons. No, God said, up until here, and that's it. Time and season, finished. Your rule and reign, finished. You're not changing any time or any season because it's now time for the kingdom. And in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he said, I saw in the night visions because it just carried on with him. And behold, one like the Son of Man came 
with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days. So the judgment is set. He has a throne. And then in, off the wing, he sees, here comes one like the Son of Man, walking up to the throne where God is sitting. And he says, came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him, who? The Son of Man, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Wow. Everybody said books were open. Rushing to a close, and I'm only about a third of the way through the sermon. But anyway, it's fine. I've got another one for next week. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, he's overcome. He's like, when is this going to happen? Remember what I told you before. Two principal angels are mentioned in the book of Daniel, Michael and Gabriel. And uh, people try and create all kinds of spiritual warfare messages out of these appearances and, and whatever, whatever, whatever. But Gabriel is the one that came and released the visions. Gabriel came and gave the explanations. Gabriel. Gabriel. Everything mentioned in the Bible is mentioned with a purpose and for a reason. Gabriel comes. And he says, I would have come sooner, but the prince of Persia resisted me. The Medo-Persian Empire. It was because Persia was busy being established. And the demonic prince of Persia was coming. Later on, he talks about, and the prince of Greece. I've got to go back and tackle the prince of Greece because he's lining up to appear. Again, he's talking about successive kingdoms. Is that okay? And so the angel says to him, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. In other words, a week is seven. Everybody say seven days in a week. Seven prayerless days makes one week. Oh, but W-E-A-K. 70 weeks are determined Listen to what the the angel says to Daniel. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. This is very important. Your people, Daniel. Who were Daniel's people? So 70 weeks wasn't for us. So the 70 weeks is not for these days. The 70 weeks was for then leading from there to there, from there to there. Is that okay? 70 weeks are for thy people. Everyone say thy people. And upon thy holy city. Which was? Yeah. So not for all the cities of the world. In Daniel chapter 9, 70 weeks upon thy people, thy city, Jerusalem. Oh, I mean to say thy city. Thy city, which is Jerusalem. Okay. And then he goes on and he says, to finish the transgression. So it's his people, and thy city. We can include it here, even though he doesn't say it, thy temple. Because it's included in the context. Okay? Thy temple. Because what is Jesus doing? Not sacrifice. Not offerings. A body prepared. Take out the first. Establish the second. The line of the tribe of Judah came as the lamb. And he's coming in the clouds of glory. Coming in judgment to end the first. To establish the second. But in between, there's going to be nations. All right. Can I just throw this in for you? Maybe we'll refer to it later. So with Babylon, with Babylon, with Babylon, this was the beginning of the last days. This was the beginning of the end 
from Babylon, church. Come on, everybody say, woo-woo. And when we got closer over here, these were called the latter days. Okay? In the latter days. Is right? And so, just to help you a little bit more, when he talks about Hebrews 9, 26, Christ was crucified once for all at the end of the world. That's where it was there. Because he was ending this world. All this world. So he was crucified at the end of the world. Not from the beginning of before the foundation of the earth, before anything was created. Christ was crucified there. And this was the establishing of the second. Okay? So this was the second. And so, so he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, thy city, thy temple, to finish transgression. How many of you know when Jesus came, we were made the righteousness of God in Christ? Finish transgressions. And to make an end of sins. Well, that was it. We're not sin trees anymore. We are righteousness trees. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Is that okay? And to make reconciliation for iniquity. So because of our iniquity, we were separated from God. Now he's reconciled us and made us one with God. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up the vision and prophecy. You know what that means there? So we can close the book because this prophecy is now fulfilled. That's what that means there. And to anoint the most holy. So Jesus comes and says, the Spirit of the Lord God's upon me. And then he creates us, makes us into a temple by which he lives by the Holy Spirit. So this is now the most holy. So he anoints it. Not the old temple now. You. Come on, that should be good news. Amen? And so this is what Daniel is talking about. He's seeing these things. He's seeing these things. He's going, oh my word, oh my word, oh my word. This is amazing. So right. You remember Revelations 5? It seems like a long time ago that we read that. Because there's been so much information. And I saw the one who's sitting on the throne in his right hand, a scroll. Remember that? Who can open the book? The line of the tribe of Judah roars. But he comes as a lamb. Starts to open the book. How many of you can see now, connecting with Daniel, that as the book opened and each seal was opened, it was judgment upon Israel. First seal, white was bent on conquest. They were going to be conquered. Death, famine. Wars. It was the opening of the seals. To end the first, to establish the second. And then there were the trumpets, the seals. The opening of the seals was on the people. Remember there, thy people? The trumpet was on the city. Thy city? The bowls, the vials of plagues was on the temple. And it was destroyed, A.D. 70. Is that okay? So it's not for our time. It's not for a future time. It happened AD 70. But I want you to understand that that vision that John sees is so close to the vision, the spiritual thing, the, the heavenly thing, the heavenly language thing, the spirit language thing. It's the same as what Daniel saw. So in the spirit, in the spirit, those two visions just connect to each other across centuries, just connects it all together. If you were to put it in a time thing, Revelation 5 comes before Daniel 7, if you were to put it in time, you know, in spirit time language. But in actuality, it happened centuries apart. 
But when you read your Bible, you're finding a prophecy. And you're reading, and then suddenly you arrive in the book of Revelation. And you go, oh my word, I remember reading this. And you go back in the book, and you come to Daniel 7, or Daniel 12, or Daniel 9. And you read, and it goes, same, same. So it's got to be connected there, same. Because John sees the same animals coming out of the sea. Revelation 13, same animals. So what he was seeing was the same kingdoms arising. Energized by Satan. Empowered by its association with the Pharisees and the scribes. So the false prophet is Israel. Are the Jews. Is the priesthood. Because they're saying they're speaking for God, but they're speaking lies. False prophet. Jesus is the true prophet. But at the same time, it's the whore that's riding the dragon. The beast. With the iron teeth. It's the whore sitting on it. Because it's committed adulteries with Rome. But it's like a dragon. It's energized by Satan. For that time. Seal up the anoint. The most holy. Then we go to Revelations and Jesus comes. He's the rider on the white horse. Not that one mentioned there, but later. He's coming as the line of tribe of Judah. He's coming to finish things off as the Son of Man, but then He's coming again as the Lord of glory, triumphant, winning over everything. And so I think I need to stop there before we continue. So listen, listen. If we can learn anything from this morning other than information, other than the fact that God has got a record of every person and of all the evil deeds of every nation, of every deep state, of every Democrat party, plug for America, of every wickedness, Bill Gates and co., the Rockefellers, who are trying to control the world and uh, make millions out of, um, you know, sort of sicknesses that they've introduced, whatever it is. I'm not getting into conspiracy theory, but what I'm saying is whatever they do, there was a moment in heaven, in the spirit realm, where God opened the books. Let me tell you, he's still perusing that book from then. And he sat and he established thrones and judgment was set. And he went through and said, right, you did this. You did this. You did this. And unless there's repentance and acceptance of Jesus, those judgments will be invoked. So in passing, the doctrine that I want to smash is there's a doctrine going around and these great apostles are writing on it and saying, heaven is a courtroom. And the reason why some of your prayers are not answered is because the devil has got some kind of outstanding issue against you and your prayers can't be answered. So you've got to learn how to go in the spirit. And you've got to negotiate because there's different courts and different levels. I mean, it's all back to law and works and ridiculousness. And, you know, it makes me want to spit I get so angry. Because it's a control mechanism for you. Because I'm the Holy One. I know how to negotiate the courts of heaven. My name's Ian Clayton or, you know, Abrams or whoever, whoever. I know how to I sit in my armchair and I create galaxies and universes. Well, get Hubble telescope out and show us. And I nigger, and I do, it's not even the Bible. Heaven is not a courtroom. 
So I've got to negotiate the courts of heaven and find, oh, there's an outstanding accusation of the devil against me. Was the blood of Jesus, was the cross not enough? Did Jesus not say, now the prince of this world has been cast out. He's been judged in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's been judged. Is that okay? Did Jesus not say, when I am lifted up, I will draw all judgment to myself. Did he not make a judgment, a righteous judgment on us and say, ah, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Did he not say God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ? And that is what we are, says Paul. Did he not say that we now have access to God? Come on, church. If the devil has got an accusation, God ignores it because the righteous blood of Jesus Christ speaks a better word than the word of Abel. So I can go to him and say, Lord, there's all this condemnation, but... Didn't Paul say, didn't Paul say, didn't Jesus say in John 8, Woman, where's thy accusers? None, Lord. Come on, ACF. Where are thine accusers? None, Jesus. Did not Paul say, who's going to bring any accusation against you? Not God, because he sent Christ. Not Christ, because he died for you ever lives to make intercession for you. Who will bring any charge against the elect of God? Come on. A judgment has taken place. Judgment will take place. Your judgment was the cross of Jesus. And it speaks that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Number one. Number two, the thing that I want to say is, Look, it matters, but in the, the sense of what I'm saying, it doesn't matter what Deep State's doing. It doesn't matter what the Rockefellers are doing. It doesn't matter what Bill Gates is doing. It doesn't matter all the stuff that is going on. There is a God. Amen. There's a righteous God. And I want to tell you that He has made judgment ready in favor of the saints. And He's handed over a kingdom to Christ. And Christ said, my little children, it has been the Father's good pleasure to give you a kingdom. So when little ACF saints get down on their knees, every power in this earth is shaking because dominion has been given to us. Authority has been given to us. When we put these knees on the ground and start opening our mouths, God listens because He said, I made judgment in your favor. I've given you the kingdom. You rule and reign on this earth as kings and priests. It's in our favor. It's in our favor. You've got to look at the ramblings and the rantings and the ravings. It's what, you know, Peter and John quoted. Lord, they quoted Psalm 2. Why do the nations, the heathens, their kings conspire, take their stand against, you know, the Lord and His anointed one? The one sits in heaven laughs. This is laughable. This is a laughable attempt at world domination. Learn from Babylon. Learn from Persia. Learn from Greece. Learn from Rome. The most powerful kingdoms that ever existed. God broke them and took away their power. Gave their kingdom. Gave the power and authority to us. Let them rant and rave. The ones enthroned in heaven laughs them to derision. Come on, church. You know, sometimes we get caught up in the news. We get, get caught up in the conspiracy theories. And the air of depression sits upon us. Come on, we hold our heads high. Amen. It's been ruled in our favor. Amen. Is that okay? Judgment in our favor. Amen. And we will take the kingdom and we shall see it established.
throughout the whole earth. One of the things it tells me is he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. So he's in control of everything. So yes, your little, little, little world, your little itsy-pitsy, weensy, weensy, little world within the world, and you think you're the center of the universe. To God you are. You're the apple of his eye. If he's got the whole world in his hands, he's got brothers and sisters in his he's got your world in his hands. He's got. Because it's important to you. He's got the whole world in his hands. Yes. If he can navigate centuries of history. All the dominion, all the power of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and before then other empires, other nations, the Philistines, the Ammonites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, the Termites, yeah. all the Ites, Hittites, Jebusites. And he could navigate and keep his hand on every man and woman that he had selected to bring the seed Christ all the way through into the fullness of time. What can he do with your life? Come on, the invitation is to ride with him in conquest. Priests and kings to rule and reign on earth. Amen. Come on. Father's good pleasure, my little children, to give you a kingdom. The kingdom of God is not out there somewhere. No, it's within you. Right here. The rule and reign of God. Amen. Which we will extend into other places in Jesus' name. So I just want to declare that uh, he has it all under control. Anyone who touches you touches the apple of his eye. You are the center of his universe. His mind is full of good thoughts for you. His mind full of you. His hand is upon you. You're graven into his hand. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs you have on your head. He goes before you, follows behind you. He's on your right hand and on your left hand and underneath are the everlasting arms. He's declared you righteous. Who are you to say that you are wicked or useless? He has called you sons of the Most High God. Don't put yourself down. You're not a sinner. You're a saint, sanctified, washed by the blood, filled with the Holy Spirit. You are a priest and a king to rule and reign on this earth. You being led in the triumphal procession of Christ, spreading everywhere in victorious uh, procession. The knowledge of Him who called you, who loved you, who saved you. To those who are perishing, you're the smell of death. But to Him and to each other, you're the fragrant smell, fragrance of life in the name of the Lord Jesus. My beloved is a walled garden, a fruitful vine filled with springs of water, choice myrrh and cassia and all the other herbs. And he's causing the wind to blow over his garden to spread out that fragrance across the face of this earth. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. This enemy of COVID-19 you shall not see ever again because the Lord your God is with you. Amen. 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 <laughs>